You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double Lemon. On today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night Gone versus Tuivasa. Preview predictions and analysis or UFC Paris. Now, the event takes place this upcoming Saturday, September 3rd from the Accor Arena in Paris, France. And in the main event of the evening, you have a heavyweight clash for the ages between two of some of the most technical heavyweights in the division, even though I think some people would call the one side not too technical. If you really look at his game and break it down for what it is, very, very technical striker overall. It's going to be the number one ranked former title challenger in Cyril Bongamin Gan going up against the number three ranked Tai Bam Bam Tuivasa. And then in the co-main event of the evening, you have the man who many people believe beat Israel Adesanya in the rematch at UFC 271. And the number one ranked Robert the Reaper Whitaker going up against the man coming off that huge victory at light heavyweight over Paulo Bohachinha Costa and the number two ranked Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, everybody. All right, all right, all right. So UFC Paris predictions. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this card. Not because I don't think there's some great fights here. Not because I don't think there's fights that we're really going to dive into. It's mainly because I feel like we're kind of on a time crunch here. So I'd like to get these out as quickly as I can. And um, it's obviously going to be a week in advance because these fights are not going to be taking place this weekend. They are going to be next Saturday. No fights this week. It's a completely blank week for UFC, but... We're going to get the predictions out to you anyway. So, you know, first of all, let's talk about 278. So UFC 278, overall, I think it was a pretty good card, but I'm not super impressed with the card from, like, top to bottom. I'm not saying that it was bad. I'm not saying that there wasn't some good fights on there. There definitely was. But, you know, overall, the card just wasn't the best. Um, The main event and the co-main event was great. Co-main event's definitely your fight of the night between Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. And, you know, even though Costa won the decision, you know, Rockhold showed some heart. He showed he showed his balls. And he really showed that he came in there to win that fight. His gas tank was off, but I feel like everybody's gas tank was off due to the high altitude, you know. And it's not the fact that Costa was winning the fight. Um, Rockhold was able to come through adversity. He took some big shots from Costa. He came back. With his own good shots, really solid uh, right body or uh, overhand lefts, left body kicks. You know, at some points he looked like the Luke Rockhold of old. His cardio just wasn't there. Now, here's the real question. If this fight didn't take place at altitude, would you think that Rockhold would have a better, you know, chance at winning the fight? I was actually pretty surprised that when Rockhold caught Costa slipping off balance and got on top of him, that he wasn't able to settle his position and get some ground and pound off. And wasn't able to lock up a submission. And then the fact that Costa was actually able to get the grappling off, get the ground and pound strikes, you know, settle, control the position. I was very surprised by that because I did expect that if it did hit the floor, that Rockhold was going to have a huge advantage. And that wasn't the case. So I think that's what impressed me the most about Costa. Obviously, really good right body kicks, good shots to the body, right high kicks. Rockhold's overhand left where he got hurt, screamed F you at Costa, and then boom, cracked him in the chin with that overhand left. After he landed that overhand and Costa wobbled a little bit, I thought that Rockhold was actually going to be able to jump on him, get Costa to panic wrestle, and then be able to ground and pound him or submit him. But 
That's obviously not what happened. Rockhold loses the fight on the judges' scorecards. Really good fight. Definitely your fight of the night. If you haven't watched it, go back and watch Costa versus Rockhold. It was a it was a freaking all-out war. It was an amazing fight for both guys. Both guys looked good. I definitely think Costa was ahead on the scorecards. I definitely think he deserved to win the fight, but all credit to Rockhold. Rockhold did retire, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of him choosing to retire, but if he did retire fully and like he's completely done and he didn't just say that, then what a way for Rockhold to go out. You know, a lot of people saying he's a quitter. You know, he he's like this this really cocky, uh, you know, SOB. He's going to get knocked out. He can't take punches. He put all the doubters to rest, and he really went out as a hero. You know, it's kind of like that villain turned to hero story, you know, not the hero turned to a villain. And I think that's a good thing for Rockhold, and I think that he showed us a lot. But there was areas where he could have done better. But like I said, if the fight wasn't at altitude, how much better would Rockhold have looked? And I think that's a question you everybody needs to ask themselves when looking at the fight as a whole. But again, Costa gets the win. Big win for him. Definitely a much-needed win after back-to-back -back losses to Adesanya and Vittori. And uh, Rockhold is not going to be competing again. Then in the main event, man, Leon Rocky Edwards. First round, dude, takes down Kamaru Usman with an outside trip. Gets the full mount, takes the back, puts the body triangle in, almost locks up a rear naked choke. Wins the first round just based off grappling top control and, and just... Basically all off his grappling. Then the second, third, and fourth round, it all goes to Usman. Just pu pushing forward, you know, getting Edwards to cover up and be stationary and shell up and, you know, get hit with some shots on the feet. Pushed up against the cage, get taken down, taken down, taken down and controlled. You know, even when he was able to get up, he kept getting taken down. And in between the fourth and fifth round, you know, it was Leon Edwards living up to his Rocky nickname and his corner telling him, Come on, Leon. Like, you got to you gotta put the fire in the fire. What are you doing? Like, come on, wake up, wake up, whatever. And um, you can watch the whole corner audio on YouTube. And then in the fifth round, he's losing the fight, getting pushed up against the cage, getting controlled, getting taken down. And then a minute left in the fight, he lands a – they break from the clinch up against the cage. He lands a left cross into a left high kick. Usman slips the cross, runs right into the left high kick, and Leon Edwards knocks the champion out cold. Leon Edwards is your new welterweight champion of the world with a fifth round TKO. Four minutes and four seconds into the fifth round. Crazy knockout. One of the best comeback wins in the history of mixed martial arts. One of the greatest head kick KOs in the history of mixed martial arts. You know, Leon Edwards took everything from Kamaru Usman. His perfect takedown defense, gone. Never been knocked out, gone. Never been defeated in the UFC, gone. All gone with one shot. And like Leon Edwards said, pound for pound, headshot, dead. You know, like that that was a a cold quote from Leon Rocky Edwards. And obviously they're going to run the trilogy back. More than likely it'll be in the UK. We don't know when. I would venture to say probably beginning of the year in 2023. If I had to guess, maybe like at the latest, like March or April of 2023. But, um, I think that this is going to be the trilogy fight is going to be a big test for Usman more than it is for Edwards. Yes, Edwards was getting beat. Yes, Edwards has his good moments. Yes, Edwards did knock out Usman. But how much is that knockout going to take from Kamaru Usman? Is he going to come back better? Or is he going to come back more heavy on the wrestling, which in turn is going to make the game plan more predictable and allow for Edwards to be able to strike better on the feet? 
And is, is Usman going to come back a little bit more one-dimensional after getting caught with a kick like that? You know, you never know. Like, the, these types of losses either make or break a champion. And that that's, you've seen it make a lot of champions, and you've seen it break a lot of champions. More often than not, it breaks them. But, you know, who knows? Like, you know, Usman was on the brink of greatness, and everything was taken away from him with one shot. So I can't really sit here and say that Usman's going to come back better. I can't sit here and say that Usman's going to come back worse. What I can say is that I'll be very interested to see what he does come back as or how he looks when he does come back whenever the fight does take place. I do think it'll affect his confidence. I also think Usman's a very mentally strong person, so you can't 100% say that he's not going to come back better. He's not going to come back ready to go. You can't necessarily say that, but... I think it's something that we definitely have to look out for because, like I said, you know, the, the, everything was taken away with him with one shot in a fight that he was clearly going to be winning on the judges' scorecards. But in MMA, you know, only, it only takes one shot to change everything. And I think that this is going to be a very interesting trilogy bout. And I, I made a YouTube video on the whole, you know, Usman and Edwards analysis and everything like that. Um, if you go to check out my YouTube, I also did a video on the cross high kick combination and some of the best practitioners of this in the UFC. I mainly included TJ Dillashaw and Robert Whitaker and explained the comparisons between their cross and the high kick. I did not include Leon Rocky Edwards, but you can put him right up there. Landed the same cross kick on Bilal Muhammad, and um, the cross kick is what knocked out Kamaru Usman. That cross same side high kick is an amazing combination. It works for a lot of go good guys in the UFC. It works for some of the best strikers. You saw it work recently with Brian Battle against Takashi Sato. The one-two high kick on the same side, boom, caught Sato on the chin, knocked him out cold. So, you know, it is definitely a very underutilized and underappreciated combination. Another guy we're going to be talking about on the card in the co-main event uses it as well, and Robert Whitaker, like we already talked about. But yeah, like quick thoughts on UFC 278. I'm not going to sit here and say it was an amazing card, but I think the, the moment at the end of the night saved the pay-per-view as a whole, and then the co-main event also being one of the greatest fights. Not one of the greatest fights I've ever seen, but definitely a, a war, an amazing fight. Could be one of your fights of the year. I mean, absolutely incredible. My question to you guys is, and hear me out here, If let's say there's no crazy comebacks you know, for the rest of the year. Knock on wood, I hope that's not true, but which one is better? Do you think that Jiri Prohaska's comeback win over Glover Teixeira to become the new champion as a challenger is more impressive than Leon Edwards' knockout of Kamaru Usman at UFC 278? So which one is more impressive? I'm going to put a poll up on the podcast. You could probably check it on Spotify, check it on Anchor. But which is more impressive? Yuri Prohaska's submission finish over Glover at the end of the fifth round or Leon Edwards' fifth round knockout over Kamaru Usman as the challenger. Both guys were challengers. Both guys were hyped up. I'd say Yuri had more hype than Leon coming into this fight. But let me know. What do you think is more impressive? That, that's something that I definitely wanted to ask. And then also, I mean, what else was on 278 that we could discuss? I mean, the Aldo and Devalishvili fight was just, it's not even worth talking about. Devalishvili did what we expected. Aldo just didn't really do much of anything, and he was kind of just a ghost the entire time. It was kind of like he was standing there staring in the mirror. Um, Devalish Billy gets the decision victory, but definitely didn't win any fans. Unsucker gets knocked out by Tyson Pedro in the first round. We definitely didn't, you know, expected that. And then Marcin Tybora beats Alexander Romanov by majority decision. 
that was a big underdog upset. Um, I did not think Tybora was going to get it. I was not surprised that he was able to get the win, but I definitely didn't expect him to get it done. Like, I was surprised I wasn't shocked, I guess is what I should say. But hands Alexander Romanov his first professional MMA defeat. And, I mean, yeah, let's get into the predictions for UFC Paris. So we're going to jump into those right about now. All right, but since we talked a little bit about UFC 278, let's get into the predictions for UFC Paris. We're going to start off in the middleweight division with a prelim between the number 12-ranked Nasruddin Imavov, who comes into this fight with a record of 11 victories, excuse me, and three defeats, going up against Joaquin Numansa Buckley, who comes into the fight with a record of 15 victories and four defeats. So when it comes to the fight between Imavov and Buckley, um, you're going to have Orthodox versus Southpaw traditional trying to get that lead foot win that lead foot battle lead uh lead outside foot or i'm sorry getting the outside foot on the lead foot of the opponent so imavov's gonna want to circle to get the outside foot on the lead right foot of buckley buckley's gonna want to circle to get the outside foot on imavov both are gonna be looking to land their power back kicks um if i'm gonna expect anybody to kick a little bit more i think buckley's gonna be looking for that left kick to the body Left high kick, left inside low kicks. I think he's going to be chopping kicks a little bit more than Imovov, and I would expect Imovov to be working on that in-and-out movement, Fernand Lopez style, because he does train with Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gan, and pop him with the jab. Just come in and bop, bop, bop. I expect him to look to just be light on the feet, in-and-out movement, pop, pop the jab, in-and-out movement, pop. He's going to want to keep Buckley at a distance and continue to pick him apart and look to counter Buckley as he comes in. With Buckley, we've talked about him on the podcast a lot before. Um, he's impressed me a lot recently. Um, won some fights I didn't expect him to win. Got some KOs I didn't expect him to get. And he's got power, man. He reminds me of like an MMA version of a Mike Tyson. A lot of bobbing and weaving. A lot of He does move very well. That's the thing I think that Imovov might have a little bit of trouble with. Is like Imovov's very good at moving on the center line. Like in and out, in and out, in and out. Kind of like a karate style Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I would say that Buckley is a little bit better at moving laterally in terms of moving left and right, darting in and out, circling, circling, using that bob and weave and roll, you know, the bob and weave to kind of shoot his way over to his lead side, load up a hook, shoot his way to the other side, load up a hook. It's kind of like darting in. Buckley is very good at the bob and weave and then incorporating darting in off those bob and weaves to land the heavy shots. I think that the movement of Buckley is going to give Imovov a little bit of trouble. If you look at the stats for the fight really quick, we can break it down pretty quickly. I don't normally look at stats for prelim fights, but I do like this fight a lot. So let's see. We're going to go here and we'll check it out. So you're going to have uh, a four-inch height advantage. or I'm sorry, a five-inch height advantage for Imovov at 6'3 compared to 5'10". <laughs> for Joaquin Buckley and then reach uh, Buckley's actually going to have a one inch reach advantage. I, I even though Buckley has the reach advantage, I would expect him to only be able to incorporate that reach advantage with his kicks, keeping it at kicking range, landing the left kick to the body, the left kick up top, the inside and outside kicks. However, the punch range and keeping it at range with the punches and the boxing, I think Imovov is going to be able to do that all day against a guy like Buckley. We saw Buckley have some trouble against the longer guy in Kevin Holland, but it wasn't the fact that he was so much longer. It's the fact that he knows how to use his reach and use his range. And I think we're going to see that in that pretty similarly here with Imovov. I think we're going to see him be able to keep Buckley at a distance, be able to intercept that bobbing and weaving with straight shots down the middle, come up with a hook, pair the uppercuts, the hooks, the left shot to the body. I think he's going to be able to pick apart 
Buckley the longer the fight goes. I think for Buckley, the thing he's going to want to do is to pressure Nazardine Umovov, dart in with combinations, but then put him up against the cage in the over-under clinch position, land some knees to the body, land some knees up top, and look to break off the clinch with some elbows and knees. We've seen him have a little bit of trouble with grappling from guys like Phil Hawes, but even if Buckley's able to incorporate the wrestling, I don't necessarily expect him to be able to keep Imovov on the floor. He does not have the wrestling of a Phil Hawes. He doesn't have the top pressure and the control and the grappling prowess of a Phil Hawes. So even if Buckley does get those takedowns, I expect Imovov to be able to either reverse position on the floor and be able to control him from the top. We saw what he was able to do against Edmund Shabazi and from the crucifix position, landing elbows, landing heavy ground and pound shots from the top position. I think he could possibly you know, reverse position on Buckley, land some elbows, you know, from the crucifix, land some heavy ground and pound and elbows from the top. He's very good with his elbows from the top, from the ground and pound position, whether it's in the full guard, whether he's in the half guard side control, he's very good with his elbows. He's very good at intercepting, you know, forward pressure with his long strikes, the jab, the one, two, the one, two, right uppercut, left shot to the body. I think the straight punches of Imovov are going to give Buckley a lot of trouble. And I think every time he tries to dart in, he's going to get caught with that jab, get intercepted with the jab, the one, one, two. And I think Imovov's just going to be the sharper, cleaner fighter. I'm very high on Imovov. I picked him to beat Edmund Shabazian. Um, I picked him to defeat Ian Heinish, I believe. I'm very high on this guy. I think that he has a very high ceiling in this division. If he can get that takedown defense worked on, which he did in his last fight, against uh, Shabazi, and he did get taken down, but he was able to reverse. And then against Heinish, he wasn't really able to get the takedowns. The last time we saw him get taken down and out-wrestled was against Phil Hawes, but I think Imovov is a different guy at this point. Um, I expect Imovov to style here. I think that Buckley can give Imovov some issues if he is able to push him up against the cage, get him in that over-under clinch position, work the takedowns. When he gets up, strike off the break and go back to the forward pressure. I think the kick's at a long range. If Buckley can keep this at either all the way out with the kicking range or all the way in in the clinch, I think that's where he's going to win. But that mid-range, that boxing range, and from the top or bottom positions on the floor, I think Imovov wins that. And I think he just has more weapons. I think the intercepting strikes with the jabs and the one-twos from Orthodox against the southpaw, I think that left hook against the southpaw is going to negate that lead right hook of Buckley. But Buckley's very good at getting the outside foot, and he does listen to his coaches. I think this is going to be a close fight, but it's going to get to a point where Imovov is going to just be able to take over with this more technical striking, the better management of range, and the better uh, ability to intercept the strikes to land counters. So I'm going to go with Nazardine Imovov to actually get a finish over Joaquin Buckley. I think he'll be able to stop him in the third round. I think it's going to be a close first round. Maybe Buckley gets the first. I think the longer the fight goes, Imovov is going to be able to continue to push forward, be able to intercept him, and eventually get him out of there. I think he drops him in the third potentially with a straight right hand as Buckley darts in and then jumps on him and gets the ground and pound finish for the TKO. So my pick is Nazardine Imavov to defeat Joaquin Numansa Buckley via third round TKO victory, dropping him with an intercepting straight right and then landing the ground and pound on the floor. Um, you look at the odds for this fight, Imavov's a pretty massive favorite at a minus 260 to a plus 220 for Buckley. I think Buckley does have you know, the possibility of getting a win here. So maybe it's not the best to bet the fight uh, on the money line, but I do like Imovov as a parlay piece. If you want to bet straight up, I wouldn't bet Imovov straight up. I would bet Imovov as a parlay piece for sure, though. Um, if you want to take a shot on Buckley, like I'm not mad at you, but I would bet Buckley to win by KO. I don't necessarily see him being able to get a decision. I don't expect him to win on the judges' scorecards. I think the only way he wins is if he catches 
Imovov with a big shot and hurts him, but I don't necessarily think he's going to be able to do that. I think Imovov's too clean, too sharp, and too crisp. So I like Imovov if you're looking to bet on the fight in terms of a parlay. If not, stay away from it. And uh, yeah, that's my pick for the first fight of the evening in the middleweight division. All right, the next fight up is the fight that opens up the main card in the UFC's featherweight division, a banger, a fan favorite fight, one of my favorite fights on the card between Charles Air Jordan, who comes into the fight with a record of 13 victories, five defeats, and one no contest, going up against the newcomer to the 145-pound division and a former bantamweight champion in Cage Warriors and a bantamweight contender in Nathaniel, the prospect Wood. Coming off that impressive victory over Charles Rosa and coming into this fight with a record of 18 victories and five defeats. Um, I like this fight. This is my favorite fight on the card. Like, there's some good fights here. There's some sneaky good fights. This is the one. This is the, the best fight on the card, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on Nathaniel Wood's chances in this fight against Charles Jourdain. I think Charles Jourdain is a fantastic fighter. I think when it comes to being more explosive, I think the greater ability to get a finish, I would definitely side with Jourdain. I think he has the better power. He's more explosive. Jourdain is very crisp and very technical, but he kind of loads up on every shot that he throws. Fights primarily out of that southpaw stance. He's going to be looking to land that straight left. He's going to be looking to land the overhand left, switch into orthodox, and come over the top with the overhand right. He's very good at using that frame as he darts in to switch stance and then come over the top with the opposite hand. Very good switch stance overhands, switch stance straights. Very good if intercepting straight left hand. Solid left kick to the body, solid left high kick. He's got phenomenal technique and really solid power in his kicking game. I expect him to look to chop the inside low kick against Nathaniel Wood, chop the left body kick, and chop the left high kick. I expect this fight to be pretty similar um, to the Casey Kenny-Nathaniel Wood fight. You got a southpaw looking to chop those heavy, heavy rear body kicks, high kicks and low kicks. I think that's what Jordan's going to be looking to do. He's going to be looking to put the pressure on Nathaniel Wood, land front kicks to the body, teeps to the body, left kicks to the body. Cross, left kick, cross, left, high kick, left, high kick, right hook, right hook, left, high kick. I think he's going to be looking overhand left, switch stance, overhand right. He's going to be looking to throw power in everything that he throws. Now, Charles Jourdain is 13-5-1 overall as a professional mixed martial artist. If you go to, let me just make sure, because, you know, the UFC, you know, I don't want to, like, throw shade at them, but their records on their website have been off plenty of times. They'll be off by, like, one or two fights. And a lot of the times, you know, you'll have the wrong records on there. So let's see. They've been getting better at it. Like, it seems like they're figuring it out. But yeah, this time they're right. So 13-5-1 for Charles Jourdain. He's coming off that decision loss to um, Shane Burgos, who now is over at Professional Fighters League in the PFL. Uh, he's got one loss coming by way of submission, and that was to, what was his name? Oh, uh, Julian Arosa. He lost... Via submission to Julian Juicy J. Arosa. He looked good in that fight, dropped him a couple times, but Arosa was able to come through. And then he's lost four fights by decision, the most recent one coming against Shane Burgos. A lot of people believe that, you know, Jordan won that fight. I could see you giving him the fight 29 28, but I still think Burgos did enough. His grappling, his ability to take the back, his ability to maintain control, lock in the body triangle. And it was more, it wasn't so much the ability or grappling ability of Shane Burgos. It was the inability of Jordan to get out of those grappling positions that I think lost him the fight. 
you know, Jordan is a really solid fighter. He's very explosive. He throws everything with bad intentions. Every shot coming, you know, your way from a Jordan is heavy, heavy power. But at the same time, I think that's also kind of his own kryptonite. He's kind of his own worst enemy because he throws so hard with everything that sometimes he overextends, sometimes he overcommits, leaves himself open for counters, leaves himself open for takedowns because he's throwing everything with so much power that all that wind up and all that explosiveness sometimes knocks you off balance and either opens up a counter for your opponent on the feet or opens up their ability to shoot in, get a takedown, get a body lock and work to take your, your back and take you down. Jordan's been taken down plenty of times, got taken down early against Lando Venata, was able to lock up that guillotine choke submission. In that fight, showing that he does have grappling in his own right. Got out-grappled by Shane Burgos. You know, he's gotten out-wrestled and out-grappled plenty of times in his career. You look overall at the takedown defense. He's got a, let's see. He's got a 51% takedown defense rate. No, no takedown accuracy. He's not shooting any takedowns. Nathaniel Wood, a 76% takedown defense with a 50% takedown accuracy. I don't necessarily expect Nathaniel Wood to shoot takedowns, but I do think that if Nathaniel Wood does employ the grappling, he is going to have some success here against Charles Jordan. You look at significant strikes for the matchup. You have 5.58 significant strikes, 5.85 significant strikes landed per minute for Jordan to 6.32 significant strikes landed per minute for Wood. Wood's going to come back with a 48% striking accuracy to a 50% striking accuracy for Jordan. Um, Jordan takes a little bit more per minute, 4.31 to 4.19 for Nathaniel Wood. And he's 3% better on the defense. But to be honest, I think when it comes down to it, striking on the feet, these guys in a, in a pure striking matchup, I think Nathaniel Wood is by far the cleaner and sharper striker. I think that Charles Jordan definitely has more power. He's more explosive. If anybody catches anybody with a big shot and puts them down and hurts them, I would expect it to be Jordan. But I think the the straight shots of Nathaniel Wood, the beautiful left hook, the uppercut to the left hook, the one one two, you know, his ability to move left and right, move laterally, cut angles, get off on an angle, come back with the combinations, you know, piecing his combinations together and stringing shots together. I think the prospect is definitely the side. He is the more sharper, clean, and technical guy when it comes to the striking. He's better on the floor. I think he's better with the takedowns. I think he's better with the jujitsu. I, I think that he's definitely better in those areas. So I think this is a close fight because it's going to be, well, the power and explosiveness of Jordan cause more issues for Nathaniel Wood or will Nathaniel Wood's ability to move in and out, move laterally and come in with sharp, clean, technical striking hurt Jordan as he goes to throw those explosive shots. You know, can he count, catch him off the counter? Can he counter Jordan off that stance switch with a beautiful left hook? Can he counter him with the one, two down the center? Can he counter him with the one, one, two? Um, I think the power of Jordan could be a problem. The kicking game of Jordan is definitely going to be better. I think Jordan definitely has the better kicks one of the best kickers in the game, in my opinion, especially from Southpaw, left body kick, left high kick, inside low kicks, very, very strong kicker. But I think the teep kicks or the front kicks up the middle paired with his boxing combinations and the flow of the hands is going to give Jordan a lot of trouble. I think we're going to see Nathaniel Wood land that front kick or teep kick to the body early and often, use that to kind of feint, get off on an angle, move to his right, feint, shuffle step to his right, one, one, two, back to the left. Roll underneath, left hook, one uppercut, left hook, roll underneath, one, one, two, come back up with a left hook. I think the overextension of Jordan is actually going to cost him a lot in this fight. 
And I think that he is going to get caught on counters from Nathaniel Wood. I think Nathaniel Wood looked great against Charles Rosa, but you have to look at that from a stylistic standpoint and understand that Charles Rosa is nowhere near the striker of a Nathaniel Wood. So that was kind of a tailor-made matchup for him when it came to the striking on the feet. He was far and above the better striker. I think this is definitely a much closer fight. He's definitely in a lot more danger going up against Charles Jordan here but I still think he's the cleaner guy. I still think he's the sharper guy. I think he's going to have the speed advantage, but I definitely give the kicking advantage and the kickboxing advantage in total to Jordan. But I think the overall mixed martial arts game, I would have to give the advantage to Nathaniel Wood. And I know a lot of people are high on Jordan. They think he's going to be this great fighter, this amazing guy. But, you know, he's 13-5, and five, which isn't a terrible record. But I feel like people are kind of in love with how Jordan fights more than in love with the performances that he puts on in terms of wins and losses. I mean, he lost his last one with a two-fight win streak, lost the one to Julian Arosa, beat Marcelo Rojo, was in a draw with Josh Kulabau, lost to Andre Feely, beat Duho Choi, lost to Desmond Green. I mean, he went on a little bit of a win before he got to the UFC, but once he's been in the UFC, loss, win, loss, draw, win, loss, win, win, loss. Like, it's kind of been... Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. Win two, lose one. He's kind of been hot and cold, and he really can't put it together. I think that if he does get this win here against Nathaniel Wood, it's a big win for him. But I think the technical ability, the sharpness, and the speed of Nathaniel Wood, I think really the technical skills in terms of the boxing and overall mixing up his game and the submission threat that he does have on the ground, if it does get there, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Jordan. I got to side with the underdog here, Nathaniel Wood. I'm going with the prospect, Nathaniel Wood, to defeat Charles Air Jordan in his second UFC fight in the 145-pound division, going 2-0 in the weight class. I'm going to go with a 29-28 split decision. I think it's going to be a close fight, but I think that Nathaniel Wood is going to be the sharper, crisper boxer. I think he's going to have maintain range, control the distance a lot better, and you're going to see Nathaniel Wood start to pick apart Jordan the longer the fight goes. If it goes to the floor, I think that Nathaniel Wood does have to watch his neck, but I also think he's definitely better in terms of the grappling and jiu-jitsu side, so I could see him hurting Jordan on the feet and potentially locking him up in a submission, kind of like the Julian Arosa fight, but I'm going to go with it going to the scorecards, but I'm going to side with the underdog in Nathaniel Wood. He's coming in as a plus 120 dog. I'm going to go with the underdog here in Nathaniel Wood, the prospect to defeat Charles Erjordain via 29-28 split decision. I love this fight. Like I said, probably my favorite fight on the card, but I'm going to go with the prospect here to defeat Charles Jordan. And now we get to the co-main event of the evening in the UFC's middleweight division between the former reigning defending middleweight champion and the number one ranked Robert the Reaper Whitaker going up against the number two ranked former middleweight title challenger and top contender coming off of a huge victory over Paulo Costa at 205 pounds and Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori. Vittori versus Whitaker for the co-main event of UFC Paris and honestly it's a great fight. It's a very, very competitive matchup, and I think a lot of people in this fight overall are going to just be instantly siding with Whitaker because of his activity, his power, his striking technique, the, the grappling he showcased in the fights against Calvin Gastelum, Israel Adesanya. They're going to really be siding with Whitaker because he has shown evolvement, and a lot of people believe that he beat Israel Adesanya in that rematch at UFC 271. And to be honest, I would not fault you for thinking that Whitaker beat Adesanya. It was a very close fight. Um, that was actually the night I went 7-0 for picks on the podcast. We did a clean sweep for the first time 
And uh, I was very nervous because I picked Adesanya, but I thought that they were going to give the decision to Whitaker because of the takedowns, because of the pressure, because of the counterability. I thought that his wrestling and grappling looked the best that it's ever looked. And I know you look at a guy like Marvin Vittori, who's a southpaw. You got southpaw versus orthodox. A very good, solid straight left hand from Vittori. We'll pair it up straight left, sit back, come with the left uppercut right up the middle, pop, pop, boom, boom, one, two. Um, it's very rudimentary striking for Marvin Vittori. A lot of boxing, really not too many kicks. I think if you're going to expect kicks in this matchup, it's going to come more from the side of a Whitaker. He's going to do that one, two, same side high kick, the one, two lead uppercut, uh, which is your five, and then the rear high kick, the one, five, two, right high kick, one, five rear high kick. I mean, it's always usually punctuating the boxing combos with the kicking game. I think if Vittori cannot get past those kicking range of a Robert Whitaker, it's going to be a very, very difficult night for him. You look at the overall records, Vittori coming off that very impressive win over Paulo the Eraser Costa. And then that was also at 205 pounds. And then Whitaker coming off that razor close decision lost to Israel Adesanya, who is still the champion at 185 pounds. You look at the height, equal height for both men, uh, a half an inch reach advantage for Marvin Vittori, but I expect that Whitaker will be the one to really dictate the fight when it comes to fighting at range. If Vittori wants to win this fight, he's going to have to put on the pressure against Whitaker, really try to land that straight left hand, get get Whitaker you know, backing up behind the jab, and then as he backs him up to the cage wall and Whitaker tries to move laterally, whether it's left or right, and tries to dart in, that's when he has to tie up Whitaker, get him in the over-under position, get him in the double underhooks, you know, land the knees to the thighs, the knees to the body, strike off the break, go right back to the takedowns. If Vittori wants to win this fight, he's only going to win this fight off pressure, wrestling, and grappling. He's going to have to really cut down the range, get in the face of Whitaker, and be able to take him down and control him on the floor. And to be honest... If we're looking at this fight, I really think this is an uphill battle for Vittori. Because even though Vittori is going to be declared the better wrestler, I think Whitaker is better at changing positions. I think his defensive grappling is better than Marvin Vittori. And I also think his ability to get back up to his feet, shrimping his hips, using the wizard, using the underhook on the opposite side, you know, circling back to the center of the cage, really just immediately trying to work his way back up his sprawl. You saw his takedown defense showcased heavily in the fight against, you know, the fights against Yoel Romero. I mean, if a guy like that's not able to take you down and control you, I don't necessarily think that Vittori's going to be able to get control either. And I, I think that this is really just an uphill battle for for Marvin Vittori. I'm not saying I don't think he can win. One thing you have to understand is that this fight is three rounds. If Vittori's able to get Whitaker backing up, is he, if he's able to even just control Whitaker up against the fence in the over-under position, the double underhooks, and really not allow Whitaker to break and create space and get off that solid jab, get off that solid one-two. But another thing that I think is going to really make it harder for Vittori is that karate style, Wonder Boy Thompson-esque in-and-out movement. In-out, pop the jab. In-out, pop the jab. He'll slip his head off the center line and come in with a double or a triple jab. Then he'll pop the jab. Then he'll throw the one-two. Then he'll fake, stutter step, boom, he'll come in with a cross, just pot-shotting you. Whitaker can mix it up in the combinations. He can fight behind the jab. He can pop that right hand. If you slip outside the right hand, then he's going to pair it with the one-two same side high kick, the cross into the same side high kick. And the takedowns in wrestling, I honestly think that Whitaker might be able to take Vittori down in the third round. I think that if he's able to get him really hesitating with the striking, that he might be able 
to get those takedowns, uh, reactionary takedowns. That's also going to be a thing for Vittori, though. Since Whitaker is so in and out, in and out, in and out, when he darts in, you know, Vittori might be able to meet that forward pressure with his takedown and get those takedowns. But the thing is, even if he gets those takedowns, I do not expect him to be, be able to keep Whitaker on the floor. I don't expect him to be able to get any type of submission offense off. I don't think he'll take the back of Whitaker. I don't think he'll lock up a submission. I think even if he does get a takedown, I'd say Vittori probably gets maybe one takedown in this fight. I could see him putting Whitaker down at least once with a takedown. But I think Whitaker's defensive grappling, his ability to hip heist, you know, the over the underhook on the opposite side, the 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 uh, overhook and the wizard to, you know, get the separation and get back up to his feet. I just really don't see an area where Vittori wins this fight. But one thing I do think is that Vittori is very durable. He's very durable and it's not easy to get, you know, to catch him on the chin. We've seen Whitaker's durability tested plenty of times. He's been rocked by heavy, heavy power punchers and very accurate strikers. I think there is a possibility that Vittori could catch Whitaker stepping in with that straight left hand. But like I said, the, the more weapons on the feet, the ability to mix it up with the kickboxing and the boxing, that's all going to go to the side of the former champion in Robert Whitaker. Like, I'm not saying that I don't think Vittori has good striking. He does. Like I said, very solid straight left hand. There's really no wind up behind it. He's able to circle off to that lead side to get the outside foot. He uses some good fakes and feints. Whitaker uses some really good fakes and feints as well, but that in and out style, it's going to make it harder for Vittori to time the striking and especially to time those takedowns. And like I said, even if he times it, I don't expect him to be able to get Whitaker to his back and really get much of anything in terms of, you know, effective offensive techniques. I think that he could get the takedowns. Like I said, I expect him to maybe get one or two takedowns, but effective offensive striking and grappling from the top position against the Whitaker. I don't really think that Whitaker is going to give him that time and he's not going to sit on his back even if he does get taken down. So if I'm really going to make a pick here, I, I have to side with the former champion and the number one ranked Robert Whitaker. I mean, he doesn't lose fights that aren't for the title. He lost to Israel Adesanya, went on a win streak, beat Darren Till, beat Kelvin Gastelum, beat Jared Cannonier. I mean, he's beating all these guys and he's making it look amazing. He's making it look easy, quite frankly. He did get caught by Darren Till with a step in elbow one time. And then he also did get clipped by Jared Cannonier, but those are really heavy power punchers. And I just don't think Vittori has the power to hurt Whitaker, which is going to make Whitaker a little bit more confident in the striking game. So I really think this is just an uphill battle for Marvin Vittori. He looked good against Costa. I don't think that Vittori is going to get chinned here. I don't think he's going to get knocked out. If you can take a high kick by Apollo Costa, I believe that you can take the high kicks of Robert Whitaker, but Whitaker is a lot faster with the striking techniques and his ability to mix up the 1-2 same side high kick, the 5-2, 1-5-2 same side high kick, the jab, lead uppercut, right high kick as they slip off the center line. Um, I think the ability to mix in the striking and the wrestling and just being the overall more well-rounded mixed martial artist, Whitaker can box, Whitaker can kickbox, Whitaker can fight you in the clinch, he can get those takedowns, and he has the jiu-jitsu and grappling ability to not get held down by a Primary, primarily dominant wrestler in Marvin Vittori, but I don't think that dominance is really going to get him anywhere in this fight, and he's not going to be able to dominate Whitaker, even if he does get him on his back. Um, you look at win percentages, I mean, 50% of the wins for Vittori come by way of submission, and 40% by decision. He only has an 11% finishing rate. Whitaker, 42% finishing rate, 21% submission rate, and then 38% decision rate. Really well spread out across the board, like I said, more well-rounded. Uh, striking defense or significant strike accuracy, you actually have to go on the side of Vittori, 45% significant strikes compared to 42 for Whitaker. 
And then uh, strikes absorbed per minute. Whitaker actually takes less than Vittori 3.32 to 3.48 and is 1% more effective with the defense. But I mean, I really don't see an area where Vittori wins this fight unless he is able to control on the cage and control Whitaker up against the fence, land those knees to the body, land punches and strikes off the break, and then immediately shoot back in on the takedowns. If he's able to keep Whitaker against the fence for, you know, 12 or 15 minutes of this fight and really just push him back and not allow him to get any forward moving attacks, you know, coming in, I think that's going to be a problem. But you do have to look at the the effective ability of Whitaker to pivot off that lead foot. He's able to pivot going backwards with that check left hook. And I think you're going to see him pair that jab to the left hook to pivot off if Vittori is pressuring him so he can get off the cage and get back to the center and then get at range where he wants to be at. So even if Vittori does back him up, I expect jab, lead left hook, pivot off to the lead side, and then Whitaker just does what he does at range and really uses that effective jab and those kicks to get a pretty dominant decision victory here. I'm going to go with the number one ranked Robert the Reaper Whitaker to defeat the number two ranked Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori via a 29-28 unanimous decision. I think Vittori is durable enough to not get finished by Whitaker. I don't expect Vittori to be able to finish Whitaker on the feet at all, and I don't necessarily see him being able to lock up a submission and get the win. And over a 15-minute fight, I think it's going to be very hard for Vittori to bank two out of three rounds. I think the 15 minutes does favor Vittori a little bit more. If it was a 25-minute fight, I don't really see it anyway that uh, Vittori would win this fight, but I still don't think he's going to be able to win at least two out of three rounds against Whitaker. I think he might bank one. Maybe he gets a takedown at the end of a close round and steals it, which is why I got to go with the 29-28 unanimous decision victory for the number one ranked former middleweight champion and Robert the Reaper Whitaker. He's sitting at a minus 230 right now on the money line to a plus 195 dog. I don't really see much value on the dog in Vittori, but there is always that possibility that one of these really, really dominant fighters, some of the best, when they eventually fall off, it's usually a pretty heavy fall from grace, but I don't think this is the time where Whitaker gets beat by a contender unless it is the champion and not Asanya. So I'm going to have to go with Robert the Reaper Whitaker to defeat Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori via 29-28 unanimous decision. And at a minus 230 price tag, I think he's a very, very solid piece for your parlays. Next weekend, I like Whitaker as a parlay piece. I like Whitaker and Imovov as parlay pieces. I think if you want to bet straight up, you probably bet fight goes the distance and um, you'll probably get a better line than a minus 230. But I got to go with the former champion here and Robert Whitaker to defeat Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori via 29-28 unanimous decision on the judges' scorecards. And now we get to the main event of the evening in the UFC's heavyweight division. You have a battle between the number one ranked former heavyweight title challenger in Cyril Bongamin Gan coming into this fight after that title fight loss to Francis Ngannou, going up against the number three ranked Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa. The nickname suits him well because if this man touches your chin at any point, he can put anybody out in the heavyweight division. I mean, I like this fight a lot. I think that this is a very interesting stylistic matchup. And I mean, you know what you're going to get with a guy in Cyril Gunn. I mean, I know he's only had 11 pro MMA fights, but his evasive footwork, his movement, his in and out style, you know, paired with his ability to counter, you know, use that jab, jab, step back, pop the jab, jab, left hook, pivot off, constantly changing stances and switching angles. He's one of the most elusive or the most elusive heavyweights in the entire 
mixed mar- in the entire game of mixed martial arts, I should say, aside from a Tom Aspinall. I think Aspinall and Cyril Gunn are two of the most elusive and evasive heavyweights in the entire game of mixed martial arts, and especially in the UFC. Now, when you're looking at a guy in tied to Avasa, 15 and three, you got 15 and three going up against 10 and one. Tuivasa is on a little bit of a hot streak here as well. I mean, he is coming off that knockout victory over Derek the Black Beast Lewis in a fight where, yes, he got hurt at some point, but he was able to kind of just bite down on his mouthpiece and stand in the pocket and trade with Derek Lewis, which that's what Lewis likes to do. It's just throwing bombs, throwing heavy punches, and trying to knock you out. Derek Lewis is not a technical heavyweight. He's never been a technical heavyweight. He is a brawler. Derek Lewis is the epitome of a brawler in the UFC's heavyweight division. I mean, at some points, I think people may have considered him to be a little bit more technical than than he should be given credit for, because I did that as well. I thought the switch kicks were good, the high kicks. He used some grappling and got some takedowns in some of his fights as well. Actually got an outside trip on Taito Avasa in their fight. But the thing is, I think if we're looking at this fight, I think people overshadow how good Tui Vasa is technically. He's got a very solid jab, good use of the lead hand to parry and, you know, kind of, you know, blind you for a second and then pop you with the jab, pop you with the jab. Really good jab, left hook, right outside, low kick, good right hand and left hook. I mean, everything that Tui Vasa throws is with a lot of power. He kind of lulls you to sleep with his physique and his forward plotting movement. He doesn't move nearly as much as Cyril Gon does. I mean, Gon is more evasive. He's more in and out. He's looking to come in, pop you, pop you, catch you on counters, you know, constantly changes stances. Tui Vasa changes his stances as well. He's kind of like the Charles Jordan style of changing his stances where he'll change stances mid-combo, go jab right hand, and then switch to the overhand left as he switches into southpaw. He's very good at redirecting you and misdirecting you. I think that could work well for Tuivasa against the guy in Cyril Gan, who sometimes as he's circling against the cage where he uses that lead hand to, you know, measure and extend the distance because he's so tall, long, and rangy for the division, I think if he gets trapped up against the cage against a guy like Tuivasa, I think Tuivasa does have the power to put out Cyril Gan. I think you can't sleep on the power of Ty. And you also have to remember, he's extremely effective with using his low kicks. Now, against a guy who's as decorated of a kickboxer, as a Cyril Gunn who uses those front kicks, low kicks, high kicks, knees to the body, elbows. He mixes up the entire eight points of striking extremely effectively. And I think that that's something that Tuivasa cannot afford. He cannot afford to be at range. Tuivasa needs to be in clinch range, boxing range, or just outside of boxing range. If you stay completely at kicking range, unless he's able to use that jab into the right outside low kick, and really deaden the lead leg of Cyril Gunn early in the fight, he does have very powerful kicks. His low kicks are extremely powerful. If he lands a few of them on Cyril Gunn, I do think that that could be a problem. That could slow down Gunn and leave him open for the big power shots of Tuivasa. But with the footwork, the movement, and evasiveness, it's going to be hard for Tuivasa to trap down a guy like Cyril Gunn. It's going to be very hard to be able to cut him off to be able to switch stances and cut him off, get him to circle into the power. If Gon is at range establishing his jab, the front kicks, the high kicks, the low kicks, whether it's inside and outside, the one-two, the one-two switch stance over the top with the elbows, the knees to the body in the clinch, double jab, overhand right, jab for measure, overhand elbow. I mean, he mixes up his striking extremely effectively. You saw it in the fight against Francis Ngannou. It was so hard for him to get into range and land any effective strikes on him. But when he got him up against the cage, he was able to use his wrestling, use his takedowns, and really take Gon to the ground and show that he doesn't have the best ground game. He does have some decent submissions, 
We've seen him get arm triangles. We've seen him get heel hooks before. But I don't think he's going to be looking to set up submissions against a guy in Tuivasa. I think he's going to be looking to establish the distance, establish the range, and really try to poke and prod at Tai Tuivasa in order to set up one of those big power shots. Now, you got to be careful, like I said, with Gon. I think that Tuivasa is going to want to chop those low kicks early and often. Try to get in the face of Gon, pressure forward, high guard, overhand right, left hook, jab, jab, left hook. Kind of wing swing wild to get Gon to back up. And then when he gets him backed up close to the cage, maybe you start chopping those low kicks. Maybe you feint the low kick, come back with a lead left hook. Maybe feint the low kick, feint the left hook, and come over the top with the right hand. Maybe straight right, left hook, feint the right hand, left hook to just close the distance and shuffle step in. Then you go with the right outside low kicks. I think low kicks for Taitu Avasa are going to be heavily underappreciated by a lot of people who are going to break down this fight. But I think it's definitely an effective weapon against the guy in Gan, who is long, who is rangy, um, and he uses his movement extremely well. But if you're able to slow down some of that movement and have Gan stay a little bit stationary, I think his ability to pull, slip, and roll away from his shots, that the way he does with his head movement and counters, I think if you chop those low kicks, then you can be there to land those overhands, land the left hooks, land the shots up against the cage. But I really think the only way that Tuivasa gets anything done in terms of landing those big shots is starting low, chopping at the low kicks, and then trying to get Gon stationary and then getting Gon to back up up against the cage as he circles away, land the left hook if he circles towards that. If he circles towards the overhand, throw the overhand, but some maybe pull it back a little bit and then step in to get the overhook and then the underhook on the other side. And then if Tuivasa can get Gon up against the cage in those clinch positions, he can strike off the break with elbows, uppercuts, overhands, like we saw him land against Derek Lewis. You have to remember, the knockout that Tuivasa got against Derek Lewis was done with the, the elbow up against the cage. He's very good at landing those elbows. And if he gets gone up against the cage, I think one of those elbows could land on the chin of Cyril Gan and put him out. I definitely think Tuivasa has the ability to put out Cyril Gan if he lands a fa- you know a power shot on his chin. He's got the power to do just about anything. Um, he's going to be at a two-inch height adv- disadvantage, though, against Cyril Gan, who's coming in at 6'4", compared to 6'2 for Taitu Avasa, and he's going to be at a 6-inch reach disadvantage. 81-inch reach for Gan to a 70, excuse me, to a 75-inch reach for Tuivasa. So it's going to be the game of long, rangy, technical striking masterclass from Cyril Gan, you know, just poking and prodding, constantly using evasive footwork and movement, stance switches, Front kicks to the body, inside and outside low kicks, high kicks, double jab, right hand, right hand, left hook, rear uppercut, double jab, rear uppercut, left hook, double jab. Keep him behind the jab. Keep him behind the long teeth kick, the front snap kick to the body. If he gets in close, stance switch as you're moving forward, kind of like that Muay Thai style of marching forward. Switch stance, boom. Switch stance, left body kick, switch back, orthodox, one, one, two, pull, rear uppercut, roll underneath, left hook, right body kick. Like all those, he's going to have to keep Tuivasa at a distance and just break him down over 25 minutes. I think that Gan can definitely get a decision if it does go the full 25-minute distance. I think Gan could get some outside and inside trips, but I think if anybody's going to close that distance and get in close to the point where maybe a takedown could be established, it's going to be Tuivasa because Tuivasa has to crash that pocket, get in close, get Gan up against the cage so he can't back up in a straight line, cut him off to the one side with the left hook, cut him off to the other side with the overhand right hook or you know, just closing that distance with like a clubbing forearm to then get the over-under position and then try to land elbows off the break, uppercuts, knees to the body. He's going to have to make it a dirty fight. Tuivasa has to get in Gon's face and really just get him, pressure him, 
get him up against the fence and land heavy, heavy shots. I think Tuivasa can do it, which is why I think even those people are picking gone, and I definitely understand the reason why. I think you have to be careful to the point where, like, Tuivasa does have the power to knock out a Cyril Gan. Now, I know he was able to avoid the power of Francis Ngannou, and people are going to say, well, if you avoid the power of Francis Ngannou, you know, how are you not going to be able to avoid the power of Tai Tuivasa? And I completely get it. I, I understand completely, and I know where you're coming from with that. And even though he did lose the title fight to Francis Ngannou, he did avoid a lot of the big shots, especially on the feet. The only way that Francis won that fight was the wrestling, the takedowns, and the top pressure. He really showcased his grappling and ground game against Gan. And I don't think that's something that Tuivasa is going to do. But I do think that Tuivasa is live for a knockout. And the only way he wins that fight is by chopping him down and catching him really in close with either strikes from the clinch, elbows, and uppercuts, or just a big power shot and knocking him out. And I think Tuivasa is live for that. But if I have to really break it down, I think that it's going to be very difficult for Tuivasa to close the distance. It's going to be almost virtually impossible for him to crash that pocket over 25 minutes with a guy who is as elusive and invasive and as good with the footwork, head movement, cutting angles, stance switches, and along with the technical straight punches that Gon throws, the punches he throws are extremely technical as well. So he's not just technical with his footwork, his movement, and his evasiveness, but also throwing the correct technique when he throws those punches, knees, kicks, and elbows. I think it's going to be kind of poking, prodding, and picking apart Tuivasa over the 25 minutes, and I expect a late TKO finish for the number one ranked Bongamin. Cyril Gan. I think Gan is going to be able to just use that jab, use the jab into the left hook to pivot off. One, two, one, two, pull back, rear uppercut, cross frame, rear uppercut, lead elbow, jab, lead elbow, left hook, right body kick, inside and outside low kicks. I think Gan's going to dance around for the majority of it. I think there will be a point where Tuivasa does crash the pocket and land. Don't be surprised if Tai Tuivasa is able to close that distance up against the cage and catch Gon circling to the wrong side and catch him with a power shot and knock him out. But if I have to go off a really well thought out prediction and breakdown of the fight, I just think that the technical ability, the reach and range management, along with the beautiful kickboxing technique of a France or of a serial gun, I think it's going to be extremely difficult for Tuivasa to find that knockout shot. And I think the longer the fight goes, the more he's able to sap that energy with the knees to the body, the front kicks, the jabs, the left hook into the right body kick, the one-two, the rear uppercuts. I think the elbows in close two are going to be good for Gan as well as good for Tuivasa. But I think he just breaks him down over that 25 minutes and gets a late fourth round TKO. So my pick is the number one ranked Serial Bongamin Gan to defeat the number three ranked Bam Tai Bam Bam Tuivasa via fourth round TKO. I think just accumulation of volume, you know, Tuivasa not being able to close the distance and getting tired as the fight goes on. I think he's just going to be kind of death via accumulation, death via volume. And I expect Gan to get the win in the fourth round. So my pick is the number one ranked Cyril Bongamin Gan to defeat the number three ranked Tai Bam Bam Tuivasa via fourth round TKO and be one or two fights away from another crack at the UFC's heavyweight championship. All right, that's going to be it for my preview predictions and breakdown of UFC Fight Night Paris, UFC Fight Night Gone versus Tuivasa. Um, I didn't break down every fight on the card, but I feel like these are the most interesting and most fan-favored fights on the entire card. I hope you enjoyed my breakdown. These, these podcast predictions will be uploaded to YouTube tonight and into the upcoming days. I know we're a week early because the fights are not this weekend. They are next Saturday, September 3rd. So don't think that these fights are going down this weekend. Um, I, then, you know, it's a week in advance because I just wanted to get these out to you. But if we're looking at the best bets for the card, 
um, in terms of money line. I think you can't go wrong with Imovov. Let's see, what do I got on my predictions that we did? I think Imovov and Whitaker are your two best bets. I think that Gon and Tuivasa is a tough fight to bet on because Gon is such a heavy favorite. I think Gon is a good parlay piece, but I almost think he's so heavily favored, and I expect the line to continue to go up that I don't even think it's probable or plausible to play Cyril Gon in this fight. If you want to play Tuivasa, play Tuivasa on the money line because I expect the knockout prop to be less value than just playing Tuivasa straight up. So if you want to play the underdog, I don't blame you. He does have that puncher's chance, but that's really the only chance I give Tuivasa. But it's a good chance when you know the type of guy that Tuivasa is and the power that he possesses and, and the technical ability that a lot of people don't give him credit for. But I think the best plays on the card in terms of parlays would be Imovov and Robert Whitaker. I like Nathaniel Wood as well as an underdog. So I think a Wood, Imovov, Whitaker parlay is a good play. It's not the greatest value because Whitaker is a pretty heavy favorite along with Imovov. And you get the underdog value on Nathaniel Wood. I think he's like plus 130. So if you want to play the Whitaker-Vittori fight, but you don't want to pick a side, I would pick fight goes the distance. I think you'll probably get a better line than minus 230. Maybe you'll get like a minus 190 somewhere around there that fight goes the distance. It could be a higher value than just playing Whitaker on the money line, but I do like fight to go the distance. So maybe you go Whitaker and Vittori goes the distance, and then you pair that with Nazardine Imovov. I like that. Um, and then you could throw Wood in there as a solid underdog play. Um, I'm not sure if I would want to put Wood in any of my parlays, but I do like him as the underdog this week, and I wouldn't blame you for playing him. I just think that Charles Jordan is a little bit too inconsistent to play him in this fight, you know, particularly with how technical Nathaniel Wood is. But yeah, I mean, those are my picks for UFC Paris. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, and many, many more. The picks will be uploaded in a full video along with individual fight breakdowns on the YouTube channel, which is the same as the podcast name at the Touch Em Up Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Please leave a review for this podcast anywhere you can. The most easy, the most accessible platform for leaving reviews would more than likely be Apple Podcasts. So shoot your way over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the Touch Em Up Podcast, and tell everybody why this is the most technical and best MMA podcast and MMA breakdown show on the internet. I'm your host, Double M. And I'm out. Have a good night and enjoy the fights next weekend, not this weekend.